Dernature. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Women in Southern California and across the nation are gearing up to march for reproductive rights. This is Texas passes a law that basically bans women's right to decide whether or not to be a mother and other Republican controlled states are moving in the same direction. This is a fundamental threat to Roe versus Wade, the decades old Supreme Court decision that protects women's right to choose. Our guest is Emiliana Goreca, founder of the Women's March LA Foundation. And for our weekly Earth Watch, Yvonne Yanez, an Ecuadorian environmentalist, joins us offering up her critique of the so-named green economy and to fill us in on global efforts to protect forests. Robert Mejia joins us to discuss the Justice on Trial film festival that kicks off today, Thursday, September 30th. We live in a global world. We're all interrelated. So on Sojourner Truth, we work to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines. For Pacifica Radio, I'm Eileen Alfandari. House progressives say they won't vote for a $1 trillion infrastructure bill if it comes to the House floor today because there's still no deal over a separate $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation bill with ambitious social health and climate programs. House Progressive Caucus Chair Pramila Jayapal spoke to CNN last night. Progressives are not going to leave behind women who desperately need child care, families who desperately need pay leave, communities who desperately need action on climate change, housing, immigration. These are important parts of what we said we would deliver, what we ran on, and why voters gave us the House, the Senate, and the White House. And so if there is a vote tomorrow, and I I have no idea whether there will be or not, I have a feeling that it will be delayed. But if if we do have a vote, then we'll vote it down and we'll continue the negotiations so that we can actually deliver the entirety of the president's agenda, as he himself, the president himself, said he wanted us to do. President Biden has been trying to strike a deal with Democratic Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, the two holdouts on the larger reconciliation bill. So far, his wrangling hasn't been successful. More from Nadia Ramlagan. Progressive House lawmakers say they will oppose the $1 trillion infrastructure bill after House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she would seek a vote on the measure separately from Biden's $3.5 trillion social spending plan. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki. Our objective here is winning two votes, getting these two pieces of important legislation across the finish line. Democratic Senators Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin continue to oppose the $3.5 trillion package. I'm Nadia Ramlagan for Pacifica Network and Public News Service. The House and Senate are both expected to approve legislation today to avert a government shutdown at midnight. The bill would keep the federal government running into early December. Democrats were forced to remove a suspension of the federal government's borrowing limit from the bill at the insistence of Senate Republicans. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warns that if the debt limit isn't raised by October 18th, the country would face a financial crisis and likely economic recession. 
Three Democratic congresswomen have shared their personal stories of having abortions. They will testify at a House hearing today on the dozens of new state anti-abortion laws. Oakland's Barbara Lee, Pramila Jayapal of Washington, and Missouri's Cori Bush shared their experiences last night in an interview on MSNBC. Lee said she became pregnant at 16 and had a back alley abortion in Mexico. Bush said she became pregnant after being raped at age 17 by a man many years older than she was. Jayapal said she became pregnant despite using birth control after she was already a mother of a young child with seizures and other health problems. Tonight is the deadline for California's estimated 2.2 million health care and long-term care workers to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19 if they want to keep their jobs. There are religious and medical exceptions. Some hospitals are anticipating firing, suspensions, or moving people to other positions. Some traveling nurses have declined assignments in California because of the state's vaccination requirement. But CalMatters reports that many major hospitals have said they're confident the deadline will not disrupt daily operations. CalMatters reports that several large hospitals said they had only small numbers of requests for medical and religious exemptions. The World Health Organization reports that 15 African nations, nearly a third of the continent's 54 countries, have fully vaccinated at least 10 percent of their people against COVID-19. They include South Africa, Morocco and Tunisia. Half of African nations have fully vaccinated just 2 percent or fewer of their populations. The World Health Assembly had set a goal of fully vaccinated 10 percent of every nation's population by the end of this month. The WHO has spoken out against vaccine inequity and against providing boosters in rich countries, while essential workers and the most vulnerable populations in poor nations haven't been able to receive even a first vaccination dose. An effort to recall socialist Seattle City Councilmember Kashama Sawant will qualify for an election this winter. It will be an up or down vote. Sawant supporters have accused the recall campaign of waiting to submit its signatures in order to intentionally miss the November 2nd ballot, which includes the mayor's race, among others. They say the delay is a tactic meant to dampen turnout among young voters and others likely to back Sawant. The recall campaign has denied it was looking for low turnout. The petition against Sawant accuses her of using city resources to promote a tax Amazon ballot initiative and of letting demonstrators into City Hall during racial justice protests when the building was closed to the public because of COVID-19. I'm Eileen Alfandari for Pacifica Radio. And this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Across the United States, the women's right to choose is under attack. Let us go now to hear uh, the words of the president of Planned Parenthood on the draconian Texas anti-choice law. My heart is exactly uh, with the patients and the providers uh, in Texas right now. You know, as you just heard, uh, patients and providers were in clinics uh, up until, you know, the very last moments uh, yesterday and last week, really trying to provide not just the logistical support to help uh, get people out of state and, and secure the resources to do so, but also uh, to grapple with the emotional burden that they are carrying mm. right now. 
that now that Texas has literally turned back the clock 50 years. So it's an incredibly dark day, not just for the 7 million women of Texas, but also to you know the 80% of Americans who, who believe that there should be safe and legal abortion. And uh, unfortunately, this law, uh, in effect, has uh, de facto taken that right away in Texas. Beyond taking that right away in general and vastly decreasing the time window there, right, to six weeks, no exception if, if a woman is raped or the victim of incest, abused by a family member. What's your reaction to that? Well, I mean, look, I think it's, it's completely unconscionable. And, you know, what we have to understand, right, is that most people don't know that they are actually pregnant by six yeah. weeks. 85% of abortion happens in Texas after six weeks. So there could be people waking up today or this week finding out that they are pregnant and and not having a full race decision for them. And so, you know, in effect, you know, the this law, not only not allowing for exceptions, but also, you know, empowering any citizen in any state to bring essentially a bounty onto anyone who is supporting someone trying to get an abortion in Texas is really what is just so draconian. Putting a $10,000 bounty, uh, which is, I think, just emblematic of vigilante justice. It's horrific. All righty. So there you see talking about a bounty of uh, $10,000 on Wednesday, September 1st, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled five to four to leave in place uh, the Texas law that bans the most abortions in the state, not allowing the procedure even in the case of rape or incest. The clip you just heard uh, was the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood speaking the day after of that ruling. Now, um, many say that the new abortion law will disproportionately impact impoverished women. In fact, it will disproportionately impact impoverished women, especially women of color who already face racial disparities in maternal health. Long before the law's passage, black infants in Texas were twice as likely as white infants to die before their first birthday, according to the Commonwealth Fund. Nationally, the black maternal mortality rate is 44 deaths per 100,000 live births compared to a rate of 17.9 white deaths. In 2018, nearly 39% of reported abortion patients in Texas were Latina, higher than any other racial group. This according to the CDC report. Furthermore, according uh, to researchers, half of all women in the United States who got an abortion in 2014 lived in poverty, double the percentage in 1994. The figure is now expected to be much higher in 2021. Now, the Supreme Court uh, this year spent less than three days dealing with the case um, that basically allowed the Texas law to move forward. There were no oral arguments before the justices. The majority opinion was uh, unsigned. It was only one paragraph long. In dissent, Justice Elena Kagan said the case illustrated just how far the court's shadow docket decisions uh, may depart from the usual judicial process and said the use of shadow docket every 
day becomes more unreasonable, inconsistent, and impossible to defend. A shadow docket is a procedure where Supreme Court justices can decide important cases on an emergency uh, basis. Um, Biden administration says it will do what it can to protect women's right to choose. And briefs were filed on Wednesday in the Justice Department's challenge to Texas abortion ban. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton touted the trips Texas women are making out of state to obtain abortions as a point in his favor in defending the law, if you could believe that. Paxson was addressing an argument that the Biden administration had made for why it should be allowed to challenge the six-week abortion ban in federal court. The Justice Department said that the way the ban affects interstate commerce gives the United States the authority to bring a lawsuit challenging it. Now, um, here uh, to discuss uh, all of this uh, with us, I would like to uh, welcome uh, Emmy, um, who is an entrepreneur. She's based in Los Angeles with a passion for giving back to the community. Uh, she is a surrogate for vice president. She was a surrogate for vice president-elect Kamala Harris, along with being an award-winning event uh, producer. Emmy devotes much of her time to advocacy programs for women's rights, Latino education, and gender equality. As a stellar community organizer, Emmy brings her 10 plus years of event experience to Women's March at LA. In 2016, she founded the Women's March LA Foundation, a nonprofit organization, and is the driving force behind the official Women's March in Los Angeles. Since January 2017, she's been involved in activism on both a local and national level and has served as the bridge between many organizations to combine forces in the what is known as the summer of resistance. She's spoken to numerous groups, including the League of Women Voters, the Hope Conference um, for Hispanics, Organize for Political Unity, Equality, Cal State LA, UCLA, UCLA, and uh, much more. And um, Emmy, I, I just call you Emmy, okay? <laughs> uh, instead of your, your full name as, as you are known uh, by many. Welcome back to Sojourner Truth. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. Now, Emmy, you know, the thing that is so galling about what is happening is that the right to life movement, the Texas law is like a dream come true for them. Clearly it's a threat to Roe versus Wade, but the focus on, uh, on the f fetus before a child is born, but after the child is born, not really giving a care about that child. I mean, you can see what's happening now on the Hill with blocking. Some people want to block the child tax credit that is so popular that helps to feed children. Impoverished women um, are, are denied uh, resources. Even being a mother isn't uh, um, seen as a, a real job. A real job is seen as something outside the home. So there's all all of this focus, uh, which seems to me a lot of double speak about protecting the life of the fetus, but after a child is born, just throw the child to the rails. Emmy. 
This is this, the, the, this is part of the Republican agenda. Let's let's be clear here. What it is, it is the uh, ability to control a woman's body, and this, that's what they care about. And and who that really affects is the ability to control black and brown bodies. Let's not get it twisted. With the Hyde Amendment, when it passed. Uh, Mr. Hyde was really clear. I cannot control all women and all abortions, but I will do control some with Medicaid, which was a clear indication of black and brown women. And what that does, really, controlling women's body also controls their ability to participate in social and economic life because you are strapped down with kids. You do not have access to reproductive health. And, and it, it realistically keeps you in poverty. I mean, Texas is one of the worst states for women when we talk about poverty levels, when we talk about paid leave, when we talk about poverty wages. I mean, it doesn't even accommodate pregnant women or breastfeeding workers at any level. So this is really about policing and controlling black and brown women's bodies. This is what this is about. Absolutely. And I mean, you see attack and attack uh, coming after uh, women. And by the way, a lot of those red states where there is a, a vibrant anti-vaxxer uh, movement and not making any comment of people who don't want uh, vaccines or not, but the argument being used is, well, it's our liberty to do what we want with our bodies. These same folks okay, are opposing women's right to choose. So there seems to be a huge uh, contradiction there. Uh, but, uh, but in so many areas, Emmy, not only a women's right to choose, but you see domestic violence very much on the uptick um, with, uh, with COVID, the legislation that's now stuck, um, Biden's care economy that's now stuck in Congress with so many things um, that would benefit women, including child care, the child tax credit, paid leave, etc. So it just seems to me as though women are under attack all around. And, you know, tell us about the what the Women's March, the Women's March Foundation in L.A., but also what women across the country are doing about this. So women across the country are we're really working towards a care economy. We need to protect women. We are working on the Marshall Plan as well. Um, at this time, we are marching on October 2nd really, really to talk about uh, Roe v. Wade. And, you know, codifying Roe v. Wade is, is essential um, for women right now. I mean, that would be, mean passing a law that would affirm a pregnant woman's right to an abortion without undue interference. And although Roe versus Wade is still law, what Texas has done is that it has put more women in danger. It has set a bounty on them. So women are under attack at all levels. Let's not forget that women lost their jobs at a higher rate during COVID. So now we are saying to women, you are unemployed, you are poor, and now we're going to force you to have children. This is what we're dealing with here, right? And there is, there is really no, no um, uh, silver lining for women because we are under attack financially, politically. So women are standing up. We must codify Roe versus Wade um, through the Senate. We're waiting past Congress. We're waiting through to this, for the Senate. 
but we must also look at the Marshall Plan. Um, as you have clearly stated, a lot of folks think that a woman's work should be free. Society lives, lives and benefits from uh, women's work, which is free work, um, right? So I think that, that we must really look towards the Marshall Plan for Women, really looking towards the child uh, tax credit, and making sure that we are protecting women at all levels. Yeah, and you know, our, those who are just joining us, we are discussing this massive attack on women's right to choose. You know, our right on whether to become a mother or not, every mother is a working mother. It is a full-time job. Of course, we love our children, uh, but uh, especially during COVID, um, more people around the world, uh, Emmy, uh, really, uh, this this became so visible. Our guest is Emiliana uh, Goret, is with the Women's March Foundation in Los Angeles and, and part of major marches that will be happening not only in Los Angeles, but around the country. Um, now, Emmy, the, you know, this business about um, the uh, Kavanaugh uh, Trump appointee, Amy Coney Barrett uh, Trump appointee, Gorsuch on the Supreme Court uh, appointee. And I remember, you know, all of the fight, the flap that went on over uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And I know you were involved, you were involved in that, where uh, the woman who came forward, who was uh, sexually uh, abused, sexually assaulted by this man who's now the Supreme Court justice, wasn't taken seriously. And now it has come out that the FBI failed in their efforts to pursue, uh, you know, talking to people, even um, interviewing the woman involved and, and so many others that could have provided testimony. And so he slipped through as a Supreme Court uh, justice. And then you have some of the Republican women saying, well, they believed that um, he would not, uh, you know, be part of attacking Roe versus Wade. And then, of course, is Amy Coney Barrett, um, who really comes out of a, a very, very right wing uh, movement uh, that has previously opposed um, uh, Roe versus Wade, a, a woman's right to choose, even though she demurred on making it clear during her confirmation process what she would do. Um, your thoughts on this, I mean, uh, on the fact that uh, women have been so under attack, women spoke out on all of this, but then again, were just rolled over. And um, your thoughts on, on whether you think Roe versus Wade is indeed under threat with the makeup of this Supreme Court. Emmy. Absolutely, absolutely. We fought for we fought the the Kavanaugh um, situation. Why? Because we knew that there was a disregard for women from this 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 Supreme Court at this point, right? So we. FBI ignored tips. Everyone ignored tips. No different than Trump. Everyone ignored uh, really who he was, and, and this is who they are. Realistically speaking, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett were shoved into the Supreme Court seat in for lifetime appointments without enough vetting. We must, must 
expand the courts. We must balance the courts because what we have right now in the Supreme Court are really anti-women Supreme Court justices that were not vetted, that in my opinion are unqualified to be in those seats without enough vetting. When, you, when the FBI says that it ignored, that it ignored tips on Brett Kavanaugh, that's unconscionable. This is a lifetime appointment, and they ignored tips. Amy Coney Barrett was shoved into that seat before the next election, um, and Christine Blasey Ford was completely disregarded. Her, her, she still has PTSD over this. And so I, I really think that we must balance the court. We must expand the court, balance them, because it is women's rights and women's issues that are at stake here, because this is what they go after. Yes, and, and Emmy, um, the thing is, is that the women's movement, I mean, I, I do recall the, the time that um, women were getting illegal um, abortions. I actually knew someone who died, a young mother, leaving two children, a young Puerto Rican mother in Brooklyn, New York, who left two children, um, you know, as a result of this. So know that women are going to die. Talk a, a bit about the, 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 the economic disparity, because clearly women who are living in Texas, who have the resources, may be able to fly to another state um, where such a draconian law is not in place uh, to get an abortion. But for impoverished women, a lot of whom are women of color, that's not going to happen. And it's not surprising uh, to see the, that a number of those women uh, are Latina, a number of them are black women. Just talk about that disparity. And, uh, and secondly, the governor Abbott of Texas saying, you know, because the, the idea that if you're raped, you're a victim of rape or incest, you cannot get an abortion in the state. And his solution, well, he has, he, he knows how to end rape. Well, <laughs> Emmy, your thoughts on all this? Realistically speaking, this is, this is really, really a Republican attack and red state attack on women. Um, we at Women's March Foundation have received a lot of requests from outside clinics um, in Kansas and Missouri and Colorado that are starting, started to see patients as early as September 2nd from Texas um, and being overwhelmed with this. And really, really, it is a, um, it is sad that these women have to travel out of state, but the income, the impact is on their, their poverty. If they are seeing clinics to get abortions, they do not necessarily have the money to travel to a different state, to take time off of work, to bring their kids. So we can see who it impacts and we can see who it was really uh, passed for because Roe v. Wade didn't just didn't just uh, start abortions. Roe v. Wade protected women, right? So now there is no protection for women in Texas. I will say that we do have, if we go to womensmarchfoundation.org, we are helping clinics that are in need of of resources to be able to give uh, uh, funding and grant for women to leave the state to 
go get reproductive health care because that's really what's at stake here. This isn't just about abortion. This is about reproductive health care. Historically, black and brown women in poverty also do not have insurance, right? So they are relying on these clinics. They are relying on the Planned Parenthood and the Trust Women Clinics in Oklahoma to help them. And so what this has done is really an attack on working women, women uh, living under poverty, and it is the Latina and the black women in Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Emmy, the the, sec, the wing of the women's movement that I have been part of have always stood for women's right to choose as well as women's right to have children because we're also denied the resources, as we said earlier, uh, once you have um, once you have that child. But Emmy, you know, scores of there's a, a New York Times article that talks about uh, something like 500 uh, athletes um, who are supporting reproductive rights. It tells a, a poignant story of uh, Chrissy uh, Pernum, who is a three-time Olympic medalist, talking about the abortion that she had when she was 19 years old. Tell us a bit about um, the women who are coming out, people who are coming out, but also what will be happening at the Women's March? Like uh, at this, this is happening on October the 2nd, Saturday, October 2nd. Tell us where women should meet, who they should expect uh, to hear there, and, uh, and also how they can get information about either volunteering to help or participating in the march. Emmy. Absolutely. So we are, you know, we're hearing from a lot of women. We also want to say that this is intergenerational. We're fighting for this. Our parents fought for this. And now it's time for the younger generation to really continue this fight as well with us. So we are, we are meeting in Persian Square Saturday morning. We gather at 9 a.m. And we march to City Hall for a program. We have one stage this year. But really what we, who you will be hearing from is, you know, uh, uh, you'll be hearing from um, Planned Parenthood CEO from Texas that is out here that has stated that California has been the most helpful to Texas women. We're marching with our sisters in Texas, for our sisters in Texas, and more than anything, we're marching to really strike down this law so that it does not continue throughout the state. We're seeing it in Mississippi. We're seeing it in Florida. So we must come out in numbers October the 2nd before the Supreme Court reconvenes on October the 4th to show that we must strike down this law. Um, you will hear from uh, elected officials. You will hear from activists, from Latinas for Reproductive Justice, from Black Women for Wellness. You will hear from Muslims for Progressive Values. And a few politicians, including including my favorite Karen Bass, who I'm really excited to hear from. But really, we all need to show up in numbers. We are at womensmarchfoundation.org. Get involved. Sign up to volunteer. Reach out. We must all show up in numbers to make sure that women are protected. 
Yeah, and you know, that's so important, Emmy, because, you know, this has ripple effects. I mean, if you look at what's happening uh, across the so-named border in Mexico, where there was a pro-choice ruling that happened on September the 7th, that it is unconstitutional to punish abortion as a crime. So you see, you know, a lot of eyes are in on the United States because the winning of Roe versus Wade did have an impact where women across the world have been fighting um, for to be able to control our, our own bodies and to decide whether or not we want to be a mom. So this is a critical, critical, critical moment uh, right now that will have an impact not only in the United States, but in other parts of the world. Uh, just some final words from you, Emmy. Absolutely. I would say join us. Join a local march. Continue this fight with us. We must protect women because women hold the world up. We know that. Absolutely. With both our unpaid and our our paid work, our guest, uh, Emiliana uh, Goreka, thank you so very much for for joining us and your work uh, pulling this. By the way, we do have information on um, October the 2nd, what will be happening on the Sojourner Truth website. So we appreciate you taking the time to join us. Know your mom, and we know how busy you are balancing so many things. Thank you, Emmy. Thank you for having me. All righty. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We're going to take a short station break. Coming up, our weekly Earth Minute, as well as our Earth Watch. And the Justice on Trial Film Festival kicks off today. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I shall not, I shall not be of I Shall Not Be Moved from by Rhiannon Giddens. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. Check out our website at sotrueradio.org and our website at www.sotrueradio. If you're a member of Facebook, you can like and friend us there. Our handle on Instagram and Twitter at sotrueradio. I just love uh, Rhiannon Giddens. Just amazing uh, work there. We're also worldwide and nationwide on SoundCloud. Uh, today, we'd like to give a shout out. Let's start with our listeners in the United States. I'd like to give a shout out to our listeners in Long Beach, California, and internationally, a growing audience in Bangladesh. And we are now, this is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth. We are now going to go to our weekly Earth Minute. Earlier this month, the world's biggest carbon capture and storage facility, named Orca, opened in Iceland using direct air capture, a technology that purportedly removes carbon dioxide directly from the atmosphere. While the latest harrowing report from the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change highlights carbon capture and storage as key to addressing the climate crisis, facilities like Orca required massive amounts of energy and resources. Not only is direct air capture expensive, but as climate scientist Peter Kalmus points out, in a year it'll negate just three seconds worth of global emissions. 
According to the new book, Hoodwinked in the Hot House, the myth of carbon capture has enabled fossil fuel industries to continue spewing emissions and pollution despite climate, environmental, and environmental justice consequences. Carbon capture ultimately distracts the world from other solutions that would address the climate crisis while allowing pollution to continue unabated. For the Earth Minute in the Sojourner Truth Show, this is Teresa Church from Global Justice Ecology Project. All righty, and I would now like to welcome our guest for our weekly Earth Watch, Yvonne Yanez, Ecuadorian environmentalist. She is a founding member of Ecological Action in Ecuador and Oil Watch International. She's been working for more than 20 years on climate change issues and more recently on energy and contributing to the critique of the green economy. She's a member of the World Forest Movement Advisory Committee. Yvonne Yen is welcome. Good morning. How are you? Okay. Okay, very well. Thank you. Um, now, let us start with this. Tell us what happened on uh, September 21st, because that was the 17th annual International Day of Struggle Against Monoculture Tree Plantations. Uh, tell us about why that day and where activities happened. Yeah, well, uh, good morning, everybody. Good afternoon and good night if you are in Bangladesh or wherever you are. And it's an honor for me, Margaret, to be here interviewed in your radio. Uh, well, uh, last week um, it was the International Day Against Tree Monocultures. And uh, this is an important day because, uh, in one hand, uh, most of the people are unaware of what are the impacts of these tree monocultures over the livelihoods of the people and also uh, over uh, the right, uh, rights of nature. And in the second hand, because of many of the people think that uh, to planting trees is always positive without knowing all of these negative impacts. And I think that to have this uh, interview here in the radio is precisely very important for that because the power of the plantation companies together with the economic power that support them and the government and, of course, the media usually tend, tend to um, invisibilize, to hide what is happening in the land and what is happening with the people there are uh, resisting the expansion of these tree plantations. Uh, this International Day, day uh, was set up um, in the 2004 and then 2005, um, originally in Brazil, because in Brazil, you know, there are millions of hectares of tree plantations, and they decided to establish this day. Uh, which is uh, the, day, uh, the day of the tree in that country too, but it is also the UN Day of Peace. And uh, this is precisely what the local communities uh, affected by these tree plantations wish, to live in peace and in harmony with nature and with other human beings and to stop the expansion of tree plantations. Right. And you're on the uh, board, advisory board of the, the World Forest Movement, and they point out that large-scale plantation model that it is rooted in the oppressive systems of colonialism, capitalism, patriarchy, 
and racism and also stealing land and livelihoods, um, sexual assault, harassment, and a, a whole set of things that are connected uh, with it. Just um, tell us a bit about that. Tell us a bit about what the World Forest Movement is and um, why the statement that these large-scale plantations are rooted in these oppressive systems. Yvonne Yanis. Yes, uh, thank you. Well, the uh, Warring Forest Movement is an international network that uh, works um, supporting the local struggles against pre-plantations and also supporting the local people to be heard and to be listened by other um, people in the world about the impact of these pre-plantations. And I would like to mention probably two examples of how these pre-plantations are part of this neo-colonial colonial, um, uh, system. For example, uh, many uh, of, the, of the millions of hectares that are, are being used in the South for the pre-plantations uh, are used only to uh, feed the wasteful consumption of, um, of goods in the North. And also, uh, now, in the context of the climate change, that uh, soon, in, in a few weeks, we will have the COP26 in Scotland, we can emphasize that the tree plantations in the South are a colonial, neo-colonial and racist way of uh, trying to confront, uh, with quotes, what is climate change. Because instead of change the patterns of consumption, the patterns of production that is completely based on fossil fuels. The idea is to plant trees in millions of hectares in order that would cost to uh, con uh, convert them in carbon sinks. But, uh, of course, without taking into account the impact of the local community's rights and, of course, the nature rights, too. So and where, where do they put this plantation? Usually they put this in indigenous lands. They put this in lands where campesinos and peasants uh, normally impoverished live. So also they are increasing this racism against what is this climate change policies and of course this pattern of consumption and production that is based on capitalism, of course. Yeah, and, and also, um, I guess, Yvonne Yanez, Ecuadorian environmentalist here, um, of the connection with your critique of the green economy, because if you, a lot of these monoculture tree plantations, by the way, I think monoculture generally uh, is not great for the environment, including tree plantations, but other monocultures as well. But specifically in relation to the tree plantations, I mean, um, they are used for the production of timber, of rubber, biomass, um, palm oil. And, um, you know, some of these products people see as helping um, with a green a solution. Recently, we played part one of a webinar that was recently held, the Global Justice Ecology Project, Indigenous Environmental Network, and other organizations were part of it, uh, hoodwinked in the hothouse, talking about false solutions. So make the connection then with the tree plantations and the 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 reason being given for some of these tree plantations is that well some of the products will really help to move us in the direction of a quote unquote green economy. Ivanianis. 
Thank you. Yes, uh, well, the tripentation is part of these uh, false solutions that have been created uh, since 2007 with the Kyoto Protocol. And that uh, basically consists in try to, with quotes again, compensate the CO2 emissions of the uh, companies, of the um, transport companies, of the aviation uh, industries, and of course, this will not really compensate at all, because what is uh, happening is that you give a little bit of money to some um, southern um, companies to make replantations or just to make a little change of energy system in the south, for example, through uh, hydropower uh, systems or dams or whatever. And supposedly you will obtain with that certificates in order to compensate what you are polluting. But in terms, just in terms of calculation, this is not a reduction of emissions at all, because you will continue uh, emitting. But at the same time, you are causing a lot of problems in the south or in the places where these type of projects are being implemented. Another false solution has to do, of course, with what we call the red, uh, red class. That means reductions of deforestation uh, avoid the deforestation. That means that uh, the same system, the same mechanism, you give a little bit of money to some indigenous communities that will uh, maintain the forest um, um, to uh, protect it, and you will obtain certificates or uh, certificates or uh, permits to pollute in the place that you are uh, having your industries or in the place that you are uh, polluting, for example, through the industry, aviation industry, or through other corporations that are based on fossil fuels. So all of these false solutions have been denounced by the Indigenous Environmental Network, and of course uh, by other organizations in the U.S., in California, and in other parts of the, uh, the United States, but also uh, all over the world because it's neo-colonial, it's racist, and also is not, of course, confronting, neither addressing climate change itself. What is provoking right. that, the capitalist system that is based on fossil fuels, is being perpetuated. Right. Well, on that note, uh, Yvonne Yanis, we are going to have to leave it there. And we know people can go online to uh, find information about ecological action, Oil Watch International, and also the World Forest Movement. Thank you so very much for joining us. And we also want to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project, our partners for our weekly Earth Watch and our weekly Earth Minute. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. All right. All righty. And it is that time of year again for the Justice on Trial Film Festival, which originally grew out of a conversation between a New Way of Life founder, Susan Burton, and the new Jim Crow author, Michelle Alexander, back in 2013. Uh, and it creates a platform for the stories of those impacted by mass incarceration, narratives that often go unheard or are distorted by stereotypes. We're going to find out what is happening as the film festival kicks off. Let us uh, first go to a clip, a short clip from one of the films featured this year, We Came to Heal. Humans can easily do the most harm to someone when that someone is a thing. We built this country, but yet we were always a thing, that we were monstrous, ugly, 
a morbid creature than it was evident in chattel enslavement. Then it became reshaped and evident in chain gangs and Jim Crow and mass incarceration. When I look at history, I see how European people went into like indigenous lands, people influencing us, how we should think, how we should speak, how we should dress, and they colonized the world. We weren't able to breathe. We weren't able to think. We weren't able to love. We wasn't able to be human beings. We were stripped of everything, right? Even down to our name. On so many different levels, the humanity is removed. It's a collective movement where we get it black, brown brothers and sisters in a space where they can be comfortable, be free to speak their mind without being judged. Because that's what the system does to us. They separate us, divide us, but we are coming together and become one and unity. It's about a movement to change the minds, man, of a society who rejects us but know how powerful we really are. This is our truth. This is using that truth to fight for justice to reimagine justice. Everything that we do, everything that we hold dear within all our truths is how we're gonna fight. We're trying to like create a new world. Um, and this old system has to go. We was born into a system designed to keep us behind. But knowledge is power, keep that in mind. Pay attention to the road and the signs. You gon' shine, you gon' know when it's time. Wow, very, very powerful. That is just a short clip from came to heal part of uh, one of the films in the Justice on Trial Film Festival. I'd now like to welcome uh, Robert Mejia, Communications Manager of a New Way of Life Reentry Project, which provides housing, case management, pro bono legal services, advocacy, and leadership development for women rebuilding their lives after prison, and they organize the Justice on Trial Film Festival. Robert, welcome. I'm not hearing Robert. Is he on the line? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. <laughs> right. Oh, I, well, I, welcome, so uh, Robert. Thank you for and having me. I appreciate it. That's that's quite all right. So tell us what's going to be happening each year, because you all not only have an amazing roster of films, but you also have all kinds of speakers happening. So uh, tell us about that. And also for people who want to be participate in the film festival, how they can go about doing so. Robert. Yeah, so we're really excited for this year's film festival because after everything that's happened this past year with the pandemic and the violence against African Americans, the stop Asian hate in terms of discrimination against Asian Americans, Latinos, the films really speak to that this year. We've got films from Brave New Films. We've got films from Fox and Rob in terms of Time, which is an incredibly powerful film about a woman's fight to basically get her husband released for 20 years. And so these films cover a range of topics that are particularly pertinent at this moment. And the speakers we have reflect that. So we have the directors of many of these films, whether it's Robert Greenwald from Brave New Films, whether, again, it's Fox and Rob from Time. We also have Lan Nguyen from Fighting for Family that really focuses on the impact of ICE in terms of immigration, incarceration, and the history of U.S. imperialism. And so 
for today, for people who are interested, um, the film festival kicks off at 4 o'clock in Montebello, California. You can find more information about going by going to justiceontrialfilmfestival.net. And we'll be enforcing social distancing, COVID policies, masks are required, but it will be an opportunity to e-watch the films. We're going to be showing Incarceration Nations um, by Boz Dreisinger today and you'll have an opportunity to meet her she'll be actually delivering the keynote talking a little bit about her film there'll be a question and answer panel between her and susan burton the president and founder of a new way of life and so that's for today and this and i want to be clear the film festival is free and so if you're interested in participating if you go to justice on trial film net. You can click on tickets. It will take you to our Eventbrite page. And on the Eventbrite page, um, you just basic registration, just that your name. Um, there's some optional information you can complete. And after doing so, you'll get a link that will tell you the location of the film festival, as well as if you're unable to make it live to Montebello or in person, I should say, then you can watch it uh, via our website. So you'll be given a link to our streaming page. And so that's today at 4 p.m. Every other day, so Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, the festival starts at 3 p.m., and those are virtual only. Right. So today is uh, at at location in Montebello, but uh, the other days, uh, beginning tomorrow and then over the weekend, um, is virtual participation. So people will be able to uh, basically participate wherever uh, they are. And uh, to do, are there other tickets? I mean, how how do you go about doing that? You just go to the website um, and just sign on and say you want to participate? Exactly. So it's a very easy, accessible process. And part of it is because we believe the mission of the film festival is so incredibly important. We believe that transforming the narratives around incarceration and mass incarceration needs to be uh, broadcast widely. People need to see the work that we're doing. There's so much negative images out there, and we want to really emphasize the creativity and power of the communities that we represent and work with and the um, creative solutions that they propose in terms of community uh, um, solutions. And so the big thing for us is making this accessible. And so even though today there is the kickoff in Montebello, California. If you're not in Montebello, which is located in Southern California near LA, then you can also, we'll be streaming it and you can watch the website. So all you would have to do is go to justiceontrialfilmfestival.net, click on tickets, that will take you to the Eventbrite page. And then if you're in Montebello and you want to attend in person, um, then great, you just show up, we're gonna have um, uh, be able to um, confirm your registration. And again, registration is free. This is just so that way we can keep track of uh, who's come in terms of making sure that we're serving you to the best of our ability, that we make sure that we have enough food on hand. And we're going to have free food. So there's a vendor. You can get pupusas and tacos. Um, we'll have swag bags in terms of just some books, some literature about incarceration that may be meaningful to you. There'll be an opportunity to take photos. We'll enforce social distancing. We want to make sure that all of our uh, members, our communities are safe. And if you're not in Montebello, you just go to the website, register, and you'll be given a link that will take you to our streaming page, and it will tell you the exact time to arrive. And then you can go online. You'll hear the opening remarks. This will all be streamed through the website. You'll be able to watch the video through our website. And some of these videos um, are exclusive to the film festival. Some of these videos 
um, are difficult to track down. Otherwise, they're not necessarily publicly available. They're either hosted um, through streaming websites or just haven't been made widely available. You'll have a chance to watch them. And then there'll be a panel conversation after the films are shown where you'll have an opportunity to interact with the filmmakers as well as other pertinent speakers. And um, we think this would be a really good experience and good opportunity, especially right now making this affordable in the midst of COVID where people may not always feel comfortable going out to these spaces or may not be able to afford um, to attend uh, uh, film festivals or other forms of entertainment. Right. And this is this is really great, uh, Robert Mejia, because our listeners, I mean, we have listeners in Southern California, but our show is also uh, aired on uh, many cities across the country. And, and increasingly, uh, we're growing an international audience. So what you're saying is that anywhere in the country or indeed the world, if people go onto this website, they will be able to participate. Give us the website again. Uh, yeah, so the website, I'll say it slower, um, it's justiceontrialfilmfestival.net. Again, justiceontrialfilmfestival.net. This will take you to the website, and all you'll have to do is scroll down. And as you scroll down, you'll see a, um, a little carousel is what it's called of the different films we'll be showing. You just click on tickets, and you click on ticket, and it will take you to our Eventbrite page. Um, when you click on any of the tickets, it will take you to the Eventbrite page. You can register for any film. If you have any questions, there'll be contact information that you, basically my contact information that you can follow up with. But it's meant to be fairly accessible. It's meant to be affordable in terms of okay. registration is free because we believe that this film festival needs to be seen, needs to be heard. And these films are incredibly good. You already played We Came to Hill. If you can, watch the trailer for Time by Fox and Rob. It's hard to watch that trailer right. without just seeing the really the the abysmal treatment that the incarceration system gives or places on systems impacted individuals. It's hard to watch that trailer without feeling that. Well, pain. you know, Robert. Robert, I'm afraid we, we're going to have to leave it there, but I've participated in these film festivals. Susan Burton in The Work of a New Way of Life, you know, she's my shero. Just really important work. Fantastic festival. Thank you so very much for joining us. And we have the information on the festival up on our website. Thank you. We're out of time. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. I'd like to thank the Sojourner Truth team, including assistant producer Romero Funes and today's audio engineer. I'd also like to thank the Global Justice Ecology Project. If you'd like a copy of today's show, you can contact the Pacifica Radio Archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org. And remember to visit our website, sotrueradio.org, and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at So True Radio. Thank you for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott.